Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing. I'm your host, Christopher Locke, and I'm also the IBPA Director of Member Services and Member Benefits. All right. A few years ago, we did an episode uh, called, it was number 69, and it was how independent publishers can set up their authors for book marketing success. So that was a very popular episode. So I want to do a follow-up on that topic with more tips for publishers. In this episode, we're going to focus on an author's brand. Book marketing is not just about selling books, it's about building a reputation and an audience of engaged, loyal readers. An author may just be focused on their writing so much, they don't really want to do too much of that stuff with all the book marketing, and they're not even thinking about, well, what's my brand? So, that is where the publisher can come in. Uh, today, we have a personal branding expert and internet marketing strategist, Jennifer Thompson, who's going to share practical tools for creating sustainable author brands, as well as easy to implement steps to highlight the brand story and elevate the author's visibility. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me, Christopher. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Okay. So where I want to start is that concept of like, well, what is an author brand? And then also, you know, with a publisher, what can they do to pinpoint what their author's brand is? Absolutely. So branding is really your reputation. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room, right? So branding is all about you and what the value you offer the reader. So when I say it's about you, it's about your value, your messaging, what you offer. It's really about the reader, right? So publishers know this. Publishers should know this anyway. What is it that readers are going to want about this author? So how do we convey that in the messaging so it's clear, it's concise, it's attractive, and it draws people in. I mean, the whole crux of any author website or any author marketing campaign is drawing in the audience, driving traffic, selling books. So the brand gives us an opportunity to really tell people why they should care, what's in it for them. I think of branding as a combination of three things, authority, online visibility, and personal style. So with those three things, we have created this beautiful, engaging, memorable reputation for an author that makes people come back again and again. Yeah, well, that's so, my nutshell. <laughs> love it. Love it. It's great. Uh, so one thing I wanted to ask about is you have these well-worn genres like mystery and thrillers, right? And um, in terms of finding like, uh, the author's unique brand in such like this broad genre. So I want to see, is there any tricks to that type of thing so that they don't just get lost in the mix? Yeah, and that's a great question. And the thing about, you know, branding yourself as an author is there might be a million books on your topic, right? And more in the genre, but only you can write your book the way you write it. So your brand is really about your voice. It's how you tell the story. It's how you convey the message. And people don't think about that. When they're writing, they just write. And, you know, I think it takes us time to discover our voice as writers, too. When you finally hit on that stride and you realize, oh, this is my voice, that's that's part of your brand. So if all of your branding has that same voice and captures that feeling, that essence, readers are going to appreciate it. They're going to understand better what they're getting from you, and they're going to keep coming back for more. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about things in branding. You know, we think about a brand as like a Starbucks logo, right? The Nike swoosh, that's a brand. Mm -hmm. But really, that, that is a very small piece of brand. That's the, the look. And the look is important. That's that online visibility I talked about, you know, rep, reputation, but also the look of it. So I recognize it. 
But really, it's about that special thing. So what makes you unique? That's such a hard question. I don't know what makes me unique. I write books. I just want to write books. Leave me alone, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But ultimately, there's something that you do that only you can do. Only you can tell the story in the way you do it. Maybe it's your voice is funny. Maybe your voice is irreverent. Maybe you bring in so much history that people are learning and they don't even realize it. You know, it's like you're sneaking in history and facts that people are learning a lot from you. You know, I can think of a lot of authors who I learned so much from just in reading their books, right? John Irving, I think, is one of them. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to figure out what that special thing is, I mean, we go to the basics, we go deep. We're like, you know, what, what are you passionate about? What are your core values? What makes you happy and joyful in life? Mm -hmm. And often having these deep conversations starts to bring out that special thing. I call it your superpower when I'm working on branding. You know, what's your superpower? That starts to rise to the top of the messaging because we're really going deep and we're figuring out who you are, what makes you special. I have a tip. So this let's say, that's good. <laughs> this is it, right? This is where you give all the tips. So finding your influencers and your comparable titles. And I would like to think that everyone watching and listening to this podcast knows that comparable titles needs to be within the last three to five years. It's critical. It's important to see for positioning purposes, what's happening with that title. And then we can go in and look and see what those authors are doing. How are they being branded? Are they on social? How much engagement do they get on social? What does their website look like? And then really read the content, you know, listen to their interviews and look for that thing. But here's the tip, read the reviews, not just the five-star reviews, but the one-star reviews, because the one-star reviews tell us what is missing in their brand, right? P readers, something's missing. When they read the book, they didn't get this one thing they wanted. That could be the thing that you do, that you offer. And, and the reason you do it is because you thought it was missing too, right? So often it's those little teeny things that we look for that give us those aha moments and go, oh, this is my superpower. I answer that question. I provide that value. And not just on Amazon, by the way, but on all reviews, Goodreads, professional reviews, you know, look for the reviews that aren't as positive to find those little things. Well, the good thing is for all my books, um, for me, I get all five stars, but no one's yeah, learning I know you do. from that, uh, Jennifer. So don't go to my books. <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, something I want to talk about is, you know, so we're, we just talked about like the author brand and what it is. So let's talk about um, now that you figured out this author's brand, uh, what they do before the book is published and what they do after the book is published in regards to their brand. Okay. So let's talk yeah. about before. Um, so what are some things before the book's published that they should be doing to maximize the, the potential of their brand? Well, a couple of things I highly recommend working on your author bio. So the author bio tells us what's in it for us as readers, and we want it to be consistent. So a lot of times I refer to this as connecting the dots of your brand. So that authority and that online visibility everywhere needs to be consistent. So get a good headshot, get a good author headshot, maybe even three, and a consistent, beautiful bio 
for various versions of where you'll need it. You're going to need a media bio. This is going to be about 80 to 100 words long. It's written in third person. It tells the media why they would interview you. You want to be ready with that. You want a speaker bio. A lot of times, you know, speaker bios, like I'm sure at IBPA, when you put it in the catalog, you only have so much room, right? So usually about 125 words for a speaker bio. This speaks to the people who would be hearing you speak and what they need. And then you're going to have your back of the jacket bio, and you're going to have your website bio, you're going to have the bio you put on LinkedIn, and you're going to have the bio you put on Facebook, and think about the audience that this bio is going to attract. And then I want authors and publishers to encourage their authors to create a spreadsheet of everywhere their bio exists online. You'd actually be surprised how many places where your bio is. Is it up to date? Is it connecting the dots of your current book? Does it even list your current book? Does it list any awards that, that you've gotten? You know, can you throw in an endorsement that you got from you know, a high profile author, just showing credibility? So connecting the dots with your messaging, A, your bio, a consistent uh, bio, and then your professional headshot, and get a website URL that has your name, and also all of your book titles. So for example, I have a book called Website Wow. So you can go to my website, jenniferthompson.com. And by the way, my name is spelled with one N and two Fs. So I own Jennifer spelled with two Ns and one F, with one N and two Fs. That way, no matter how people spell it, they're going to find me. And I don't have to worry about someone else. You know, I'm, I'm protecting my domain, my online domain, but also I'm going to buy a website. Wow. And I'm going to forward that to my book page. So all the places that people can find you online. Now, I want to say you don't have to be on every social platform, but buy or, you know, get the name of your name because we're branding you as an author. Even if you're not going to be on Facebook, at least secure the name so that if you need that as part of your brand, you have it. Understanding your audience is paramount. So doing that research, finding three comparable titles, and really researching them. Where are these authors showing up? Where are they being reviewed? Can you be reviewed there? What podcasts do they appear on? Can you be on that podcast? And start building those relationships right away. I mean, I say start building your brand a year before your book comes out, even sooner if you can, so that, you know, you're, you're, laying breadcrumbs, you're connecting the dots. So then when people, when your book finally launches and people go to find you, all those dots are leading people back to you and buying your book. Well, it's interesting whenever I'm doing these interviews and, you know, for the thing that really stuck out to me was having all those different types of uh, author bios. I'm just like, oh my God, that sounds like so much work. And I have not done that. <laughs> Uh, but you know, good to know, um, you know, it, I of course understand that, uh, it's important to know which audience is on that particular platform. And also sometimes there's certain like LinkedIn might be more, it's professional, you know, but something yeah. like yeah. Facebook or something or Instagram is supposed to be a little bit more fun. So then you make, make this. So yeah, totally get it. It's just more work. Um, it feels <laughs> it, it feels like work, but you know what? Here's what happens is we put it off. And then, you know, this, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but this really awesome guy's name's Christopher Locke. He invited me to be on this badass podcast and I was prepared. I had my bio ready. Yeah. But if I had to write my bio right then, it would be nerve wracking. It would be riddled with typos. I'd forget to put in the most important thing. So being prepared in in the front end feels like a lot of work, but in the back end saves you so much time. Mm -hmm. It's a so, beautiful thing. This Christopher Locke sounds awesome. Maybe I can get him. He's super podcast. awesome. Okay. That's great. You know what? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you. <laughs> oh, you making connections. Okay, so then I wanted to talk about after the book's published. You know, those are some mm-hmm. excellent things before. But so, um, you know, like what are the things you should be doing after books published? But like, are are they different? Are they the same? And you're just adjusting them. Well, I mean, I'll be honest, it's different for everyone. There is not one brand plan. It depends on your genre. It depends on your goals. It depends on your budget. And by the way, can I talk about budget real quick? Budget's Let's super important money. to me. Yeah. Let's talk money. But dollars, that's, so okay. what can I get okay. <laughs> Well, first of all, um, I'm going to send you some paperwork, and I'll show you where it'll make it easy to sign. Okay. So Great. we can get started right away. <laughs> I'll just put my, you know, uh, my bank account uh, number on here if you want. That could just put that. That would be great. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I'm ready. Give it to yeah. me. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> it's pie. <laughs> it's actually pie. Mm-hmm. Um, your budget is not just money. I mean, we think about your budget as money. And what I run into a lot of times is people say, I will spend whatever it takes to make this work. I believe so strongly in this book. And I, I know it's important. I know people need it and they're going to read it. And then they don't have a, a number. And then they end up spending way too much money. And then what also happens is they spend too much time. They commit to doing all of the things as opposed to having a plan. So the front end of the brand pl- makes the plan for what you're actually going to execute when the book launches. And that's so important. So we, you know, we stalked our influencers, right? We stalked the people who have written the books already, who are on the stages we want to be, and we reverse engineer our roadmap, you know, your brand roadmap or all the steps you're going to take in the future. And so looking to see what those people have done, that doesn't mean you do it all because you have to think about your own budget. How much money do you have to spend? How much time do you have to invest? And then the most important piece of your budget is your emotional bandwidth right? How comfortable are you getting on stage or being on a podcast or writing blogs on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, or, you know, whatever the thing is that you have decided to adopt for your own roadmap, it's based on the research you've done and the influencers, but it's also based on your own budget. And it's so important if you have that in the beginning, when you think about your investment of time, it really matters. And I say, you know, you don't have to be on every platform, but the platform you decide to invest your time in or money if you hire someone is one that you know your audience is engaging in. So we're not just plastering everything with your brand. We're being very thoughtful about it. And that plan then determines what you do after the book launch. So I'm going to write articles once a month and get get them published in, you know, XYZ periodicals, or, you know, maybe you're a nonfiction writer. So you want to get Huffington Post pieces, you know, the the places that are going to get the most visibility is really what we're looking for. And the thing about book marketing is it's not 90 days. I mean, the first 90 days are certainly the most critical, but it's a long tail journey. I mean, the number one thing in my experience that sells your first book is actually your third book because you've had this plan. And every time you have a new book, you revisit your brand, you revisit your messaging, you revisit your budget and the time you spend. And people pay attention slowly but surely. I mean, I've heard people say, oh my gosh, I did this for three years and then finally something kicked in, right? You know, mommy bloggers had this experience and then it, finally broke through and they're getting sponsorships and more books and, and, you know, bigger publishing deals resulting out of, you know, food blogs, you know, 
anything can happen, but if you're laying the breadcrumbs and making the plan, then you know what to do once your book is launched. Just doing everything is probably the worst plan because <laughs> no yeah. one has time for that. And then we get burned out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll believe I can ask you about getting burned out. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the whole thing coming up. But what, real quick, I want to ask you about social media. So I think something that happens is let's say like uh, an, uh, you have, you're a publisher and your author's been on social media for years. Um, they're a romance writer, they're sci-fi fantasy, but their posts up to this point have nothing to do with their genre. It's like photos and stuff of their family and dog and stuff. So as the publisher, I mean, are you working with your author and being like, hey, let's get more quote unquote on brand? Or mm -hmm. is that like, do you have that conversation with them or about, because you don't want to, they don't control what they're posting, but maybe helping them, guiding them and being like, you know, all you post about is your dog and your dog's very cute, but it has really nothing to do with your brand or your, you know, your genre. So how, how do you work that as a publisher? As a publisher, I would hope that they would have also done the research on the comparable titles and the authors who are out there to see how the ideal reader is engaging mm -hmm. with content. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a personal relationship with um, your readers. So posting about your dog can be a good thing. I think as a publisher, you know, I would look at it and say, okay, we're getting ready to launch a book. So instead of suddenly blasting 90% of our content is I have a new book, figure out how you can put it in there in an authentic way that feels more conversational. So, you know, 10% advertising, especially if these people are engaging. I mean, when you're talking about they've been on social for years, do they, do they actually engage? Are people engaging with them or are they just posting? So looking at that, assuming that people are actually engaging, they're going to want to hear what's happening in the author's journey. Hey, I've got this new book coming out. By the way, here's the cover. What do you think? Or, you know, cover reveal is a great thing to start getting the buzz going. I had someone call me yesterday and she's being featured in a local author's group. And she, her book comes out in 2024, June of 2024. And she said, should I use my cover now? And I said, no, wait, wait until the book is about to come out. Because if you share it now, people have seen it. And then when you start doing that cover reveal and really start promoting your book, it's going to feel like old news to them because they already saw it a year ago and they can't buy it. Right. So planning how much of the book reveal to put in there that feels conversational. So on brand, you know, maybe posting pictures of the dog is on brand. Chris Bozeliak comes out with a book every single year. He is huge on Twitter. He has a huge following. Most of his posts are him riding his bike or a picture of his dog, you know, and, and he's clever and he's funny. And his brand is that he's clever and he's funny and he's a great writer. And so his readers love engaging with his personal life. Now he doesn't share everything. He holds back, right? He loves sharing about the weather. So he gives us beautiful sunsets and cute pictures of his dog and his cat sometimes, but readers love it. It is on brand. But when his book comes out, you'll start to see a strategy. We're going to get the book cover. We're, there's going to be author events that are happening just for fans, you know, get in early. Then the pre-order starts to appear. And now he's going to start appearing, you know, as a speaker in places you can go see him speak. You can get a signed copy of the book. So it's like the audience feels like they're in the know. Like I'm getting this before anyone because I'm part of his fan group. You know, I'm engaged with him even when I'm only seeing the dog photos and it works. Mm -hmm. But I hope I answered your question in terms of the, of the publisher looking at the author's social, 
is it engaging or is it just no one's engaging with it, no one cares, because that's where we have to fix the brands. That's where when we really need to think about the strategy, you know, and the, and the author's budget, you know, their comfort level of how much they want to share. Because promoting on social doesn't work. Engagement and authenticity on social, that's what works. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I agree. I do see that all too often and when someone has a book come out, like every photos of them holding up their book or them just the book cover or whatever. And at some point you're like, yeah, we've, we've seen it, you know? So yeah, get I agree. Um, you know, you, you have an author event or something, or, um, you know, even just a photo of like the, the publisher with the author, just, just different types of things that are related to the book, but not just literally the book over and over again. Um, so we've talked a lot about social media as in terms of like online visibility, but um, you and I were talking the other day and there are many other examples. So I just want to see if you can just list off the other types of things that people uh, can do that to get online visibility that's not just social media. Yeah. Podcasts, I think, is one of the number one ways that you can get some visibility. And that gives you something to post on social to let people know that this has happened to go listen. Um, partnering with other authors, doing bundles, doing a, a group book launch. Like, let's say you're a mystery writer, you know, partner with four other mystery writers who have 5,000 people on their mailing list. Now you've got 25,000 people who are engaged in this launch. Online book launches and pre-book launches can be huge. Writing articles, writing essays, personal narrative essays, you know, getting published in places where your readers are looking for new authors or new voices, you know, um, awards, book reviews, filling out your Amazon author page with A plus content. If, if, if our listeners aren't aware of what A plus content is, I highly recommend that you go check it out. This is something your publisher would do. And so I would say publishers, please, you know, look into getting the A plus content on there. It just makes the page look that much more professional and engaging, you know, and then give people a place to go. Tell them what to do. So anytime you appear and you have some breadcrumb, what is the opt-in? What is the call to action to get them to come to your website or your Substack account? Substack is another great one for people who aren't aware of what Substack is. It's, you know, like a, it's like medium. It's like a blogging, um, it's like Patreon meets Medium. So people pay for content. You've got the free version, maybe $5 a month, maybe $80 a month. And then you provide levels of content for your fans. And Substack is new enough that it's a really good time to get in and you know be kind of an early adopter. I don't really think of it as social, even though it's sort of social, it's more like a piece of what your website would be. But writing articles, writing content, you know, giving things away of value that make people feel special, right? Mm-hmm. Other ways, um, in-person, we're forgetting about in-person stuff, you know, local events at your library, you know, talk to your local bookstores. Barnes & Noble here is great about doing local events. It also, you know, look into doing something that's totally out of the box. Like maybe your book is based in around a construction worker and a murder. Well, maybe you can do a book launch at a Home Depot. Like you never know who would be willing to bring you in. It promotes them and it promotes your book and it, you know, good for the neighbor. Neighborhood. I mean, there's so many ways to get visibility. And that gives us an opportunity to create something about it online. So we have that forever breadcrumb. It's always leading people back. 
I also kind of want to talk about keywords if I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everything we do needs to be thoughtful. So the keywords that you use in your branding, on your website, in your call to action should tell people what's in it for them, right? So doing keyword research, if you have that list, this is the upfront up, up stuff we do at the very beginning when we're branding ourselves. And there's so many tools out there, but when I'm looking at comparable titles and influencers, I read the content. I see what Amazon recommends. When I put in a word, Amazon will say, do you mean this? That's telling you what people are searching for. And that gives you a lot of great information. This is how you will get found online. This is part of the online visibility, the, the traffic driving. Those little things might seem might not seem like a, a big action item on your roadmap, your branding roadmap, but it is. Those keywords and that metadata are critical so people actually find you. You know, from Amazon to Goodreads to your website to that Huffington Post article you wrote or an, an event you did at the local library. Like all of these things are breadcrumbs leading back to your home base, which in my opinion is your website. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. one thing I had a question about on this topic is, you know, we're listing all these things. And I mean, how often, like, so let's say my book is, you know, launching next week. So I've got this week, next week, and whatever the next few months, but like how much stuff, you know, should I be doing like in terms of all these different things, you've got podcast interviews, you've got posting on your social media, like, like, is it like every single day you're doing stuff, which of course uh, we'll be talking about sustainability of getting burned out, but like, <laughs> what, what do you recommend? Like, you know, if someone's not doing some type of thing like this every day during the book launch, like, should they feel guilty and they're not doing enough? Oh, I never want anyone to feel guilty. You know, I think we can do what we can do. And I, over COVID, I think this kind of came to light that, you know, we tend to really push ourselves too hard and we need to be easier on ourselves. And that's why you figure out what your budget is, how much time you have to invest, your emotional bandwidth to invest. And then you have a plan, you know, you know in advance what you're going to do and it's scheduled out. If you can do something small every day, I think that's great. You know, when you're doing podcasts and you're doing virtual events, sometimes you're going to have five events in a day. You know, it's up to you of what you can handle. But the worst thing is burnout. Like you just said, you know, this is, it needs to be sustainable and joyful. Like at the end of the day, you know, our publishers are going to push us, sorry, publishers, publishers are going to push us, you know, to get what they can because they want to sell books. And that is what needs to happen. But as an author, we need to really think about the long tail right? The, the long game of if I get too burned out on book one, am I even going to write book two? You know, and at the end of the day, we want to write books. So a sustainable plan really, really matters. And you don't have to do it all. Obviously, not everyone can be number one, right? This idea that I want to be a New York Times bestseller, and I want to be number one, that requires a lot of effort. It requires time, it requires money, it requires emotional bandwidth. Yeah, it's a lot. Is that really for you? Is that really what you want? What's more important to you? Balance, uh, being joyful in your work, or being number one? Because I don't think you can really have both. Right. Unless you really love climbing that hill. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard work and some people love it. So that's a, that comes back to your budget. So am I supposed to be enjoying life? This is just existential question. I just want to. <laughs> uh, this is the question, isn't it? I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to retire at 74. Yeah. We really put so much on ourselves, don't we? Um, 
I mean, uh, I'll definitely say that, you know, as someone who's an author publisher that, um, you know, especially when you're first, you're doing your books and you don't even have a concept of what's, what success means. Um, mm -hmm. you, you really beat yourself up where you're just like, wow, I just failed. I didn't sell whatever X amount of books and you're not looking at, okay, but just today you got two great reviews that that's success, you know? So it's a, you know, you just, uh, have a, you can have a bad habit of, um, looking at the negative and just completely missing the positive that happens. Um, so I do want to ask about, so true. yeah. Um, so I want to ask about that concept of burnout. Um, you know, what can publishers do during this process to kind of like inspire, uh, the, the authors, uh, so that they don't get burned out or if they seem like they are, that they can kind of keep them on track and, you know, um, you know, just like make them feel like you got this, you know, and, and, um, you know, just like things that like, like tangible things they can do to, to help them. Um, cause the publishers are also busy too, though. And they're maybe they're working on their next book, you know, like, mm -hmm. like they're, they're like creating the next book as this one is now physically out in the world. Yeah. We're all busy. It, you know, it seems like the more, the easier it is, the more technology we have to make our lives easier, the, the more we do, right? And so we're just loaded down with all these things because we can. Like it was easier when we just didn't have that many options, right? So I think number one, you know, as a publisher is really understanding the market, really positioning the book well, and setting expectations for that author, you know, of what, where we're going. And, you know, also letting them know that you're going to get bad reviews. And that's okay. In fact, I think bad reviews are a really good thing. You know, assuming it's not like this is just a poorly written book and there's too many spelling errors, right? Publishers aren't going to let that happen. But, you know, bad reviews means that if someone has a visceral response to it, then on the other end of the spectrum is someone who's going to love that book. It's really going to push buttons. So preparing them for bad reviews and lack of sales and showing them, you know, assuming the author is interested in knowing how the publishing industry works, you know, expectations, setting them and showing them how, you know, the success of other authors before you and what our goals are so that they're attainable is important. You know, this lofty idea that this is going to be a number one, you know, new, new York times bestselling author doesn't happen for a lot of books. So, Number one, setting up the expectations and that roadmap, that brand roadmap that I keep talking about is so important to keep the author checking boxes. So I think a lot of authors just want to check off a box. Tell me what to do and I will do it. You know, and then another thing I think is scheduling time. Um, one of the things I did several years ago, I found myself checking email for far too long every day. And then I decided to create a schedule. This is what I do from seven to eight, you know, I write. From eight to nine, I check email. And at nine o'clock, I stop checking email. Give yourself permission to work on the things that need to happen in a certain amount of time. And then you move on to the next thing. Because then you sort of leave the guilt behind. It's like having a personal trainer, right? You're going to do 20 reps of this. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. You know, you, you do as many as you can. And you move on and you don't feel guilty about it. Because it really does beat us up, you know, being an author it's hard. There's so much competition and it's difficult to get noticed with all the noise. So having that schedule, having those expectations and understanding the market, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tried to do everything all at once. I, during this interview, <laughs> did 20 countries and you didn't even notice, but I've been doing it this whole time. I, I, 
So that's know. nice. I know I did notice a little bit of something <laughs> happening there. Yeah, good for you. Um, well, I'm gonna do some push-ups real quick. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we're both working out as we talk. Um, so uh, one thing I'd wanted to ask about because we're talking a lot about new books coming out, but are some of these same things because people have books they published like whatever ten years ago and they're just like ugh. Like, is it over? So are, are some of these things, you know, helpful then for backlist titles? Um, you know, publishers also have backlist titles. I'm thinking like maybe a new book they're publishing might have the same subject matter as uh, a book yeah, that 10 yeah. years ago. So is it uh, a faux pas to bring up that book they published 10 years ago somehow? No, I think it's wonderful. I'm really glad you brought it up because, I mean, I said earlier, the number one thing that sells your first book is your third book. So there's a couple things in the back of the book, you know, the front of the book list all the books they have in the back of the book have an invitation, you know, to go get maybe a free chapter from an older book or, you know, a free gift that you can only get if you have this link to the special page on the website, you know, become a, a super fan. And, you know, let them know, you know, if they enjoyed this book, maybe they would enjoy the back title. I mean, I when I discovered Poisonwood Bible by um, Barbara Kingsolver, I went out and bought every book she'd ever written. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love them, right? So we can find this information on our own, but what if we give that nudge and we make it easier? So yeah, the website should list the books. The back of the book should tell them what else is available. And occasionally, you know, in, including a couple in your bio, if it makes sense, you know, and, and occasionally like talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to forget our babies. Our, we love all of our children, <laughs> not just our youngest. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's well, over time. Some, some parents aren't. Some parents just love the youngest, and that's that's sad. Yeah. Did did, did you have a hard time growing up, Christopher? Were your parents? <laughs> I'm the middle child, Jennifer. You're the middle. You were I forgotten, didn't, weren't you? I, I didn't get enough attention. Uh, <laughs> no, um, did I cut you off? Sorry. I, um, no, well, no, I, not at all. Well, I was going to make another comment, but. Oh yeah. Um, well, so I'm interested. Because I, I think people confuse sometimes there are certain types of visibility that's good for just exposure and then some mm -hmm. that's good for book sales. And I think that mm -hmm. people, um, they, they mostly question. just want book sales. But maybe can you speak to that concept of like, you know, some of the things you've mentioned, which ones are good for both? And then also why like getting exposure is also helpful and not to just focus on, oh, that those are the book sales ones. I'm just going to do all those. It's important to remember that people don't buy on the first time, right? Like the number eight comes to mind, you know, you see it eight times and then you finally make the decision to buy. So when you think about visibility, every time someone sees you or hears about you, it's adding to that foundation. And we don't expect them to buy. In fact, when people land on a website, they're not going to buy the first time, not typically, you know, not as a general rule. But what if you have something that they can get for free? that gets them on your list. So you stay connected to them. So, you know, your return on investment for all of those touch points is, is going to vary. But if you can somehow capture their email and stay connected to them, if you give them, have a contest that you offer, you know, for kids books, have something that parents can download, like some sort of a certificate or an award that the kids can get, you know, things that keep them invested in your brand and invested in your message. They, they just want value. They want something that's fun and engaging and staying connected is how we do that. But we can't, we know that they're not going to buy every time, but we do it anyway. And how do we know if the return on investment is worth it? If we don't have a sale, well, we track our traffic. 
you know, we see how many people are coming from all those Facebook posts that I am sick of doing and I don't seem to get a lot of engagement. But is it my number one referrer to my website? You know, I would encourage publishers to show their authors how to track their traffic so that they can have a metric of what's working. You know, I mean, we, we can track it. We can see if it's coming from social, a Huffington Post or that podcast that I did last week, you know, that link back to my site. You know, I can see how many people click that link. That doesn't mean they're going to buy my book, but now they know about me. Now I have an opportunity to connect, to engage, to draw them in and give them something of value. And they will. The ones who are meant to be buyers, if they need what you're peddling, they will become fans and buyers. It will happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I love that idea of because you were saying you need to see it eight times. And I think then people think, oh, I need to keep doing more and more ads for that one book. But I love that concept of, well, actually, um, it's not just you keep doing all these ads, uh, you need to get their contact information so that then you're giving them and you're not just hitting them over the head with that same even book, you know, it's just stuff, just whatever, you know, your brand is, there's other things that you're creating. So yeah, I really like that idea. Um, so uh, we're coming near the end. Uh, it's a broad question, but I just already well, I just well, our <laughs> podcast. Um, so, um, but I wanted to see if there's anything that you feel like we missed on this topic. That's uh, you know about how publishers can help their authors with their uh, their brand and um, you know set them up for success uh, regarding you know helping them find their brand and or getting you know pinpointing it and then using that to the book's best potential. You know, I think the number one thing publishers can do for their authors is just let them know they have a brand because many authors don't believe it. Like, who am I to have a brand? You know, I'm a new author. You know, branding doesn't make sense to authors because they're writers. So when they think of branding again, it's Starbucks, it's, it's Nike, it's UPS. Those are branded companies. Mm -hmm. But branding is more than a logo. It's, it's an investment. You know, creating a brand is an investment in how you present yourself to the world. So if publishers can educate their authors, I would love for publishers to have like a checklist of, of things that they can do, you know, right out of the gate to start their brand. So determine what your look is and your styles. Number one, have a name mark, you know, a logo that you use just for your name. It doesn't appear anywhere else in your materials. It's just your name. It becomes recognizable, it becomes a logo. But then also have a set of low fonts, a font family that you use in everything you do on your website, on social media, any marketing materials you have. It starts to be recognizable and choose a palette of colors that are unique to you, not your book, to you as an author. Mm -hmm. Have a website. Make sure you have your name and all of your book titles so that you are protecting your domain. Make sure that you secure the social presence. Have an email signature that tells people about your upcoming book and maybe even your catalog or your podcast or an award you got. You know, something that shows people, hey, I'm serious about this. Listen, branding is about investing in yourself because then people trust it. You know, that's one thing we didn't talk about today is the trust factor. Do I trust this? I trust I it because... That's, that's why that's why we wouldn't talk about it. I only what did you say? I said, I only, I only care about people lying to each other. So <laughs> your concept to me, you're like, Hey, we got to trust each other. 
Wait, what, whoa, what's happening here? Trust. You're like, I'm not, I'm not aware of this. I'm a middle child. Everyone <laughs> lied to me. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. What, what, what's so important about trust? Have a, well, I mean, just the idea that I land on a website and it's professional. It's trustworthy. Mm. It's consistent. When I land on a website, <clears throat> this is this used to be the case of uh, almost across the board. New authors would have a website. You know, the publishers like get a website, and they did, and it was a picture of them and a long bio. But that didn't help me. That didn't tell me as a reader why I care about the author and what's in it for me. You know, so make sure that the website is about the the reader. It's about the author, but it's what the author you know offers readers. Um, link tree, have a link tree. So on Twitter, whatever social account you're on or on your phone, you can have, um, I think it's called Blink. You know, it's a virtual business card that tells people everywhere they can engage with you. But, you know, it's Linktree, um, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. This is a great way for people to find you everywhere and engage with you. Have business cards. Remember those? Oh, <laughs> you know, a business Good, good. You know, that we pass out because so many times an author will be at a cocktail party and talking about their book and people are like, oh, this is great. How do I get it? Here's my card. Here's all the places you can get it. Follow me. Follow my newsletter. You know, it's coming out in June. Here's my, you know, here's how to get it. Um, you know what I have? The bios. Uh, oh, I was just going to mention, I have, instead of for my books, instead of a business card, I have bookmarks. Perfect. And those have done really well, people, because then it's like they can use it for something. So, yeah, just brilliant. I love that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's great. You know, and maybe it feels better to hand out a bookmark than a business card. You know, it's not about you. It's about the book. Yeah, you can use it for some other book and then keep looking at mine and maybe get mine. Just throwing it out there. And this happens all the time. I have so many bookmarks that I got at IBPA at PubU. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. The other thing is the bio, tracking where your bios are. You know, encourage your authors to get their bevy of bios and track them. So they're always up to date. And they have a call to action. Have a call to action in your bio. Tell people what to do. Tell them how to follow you, how to subscribe or get your book. Because great, you're very interesting. But now what? You know, so that call to action is really important. Current optimized headshot, really encourage your authors. Authors are afraid to get, and everyone, let's just be clear. Everyone's afraid to get their headshot. Very few people enjoy getting their headshot. So I recommend that we do it every year. Treat it like a birthday. You don't have to use it every year. But guess what? In three years, you're going to look back and go, oh, I was really cute. Look how good I look, right? We're only getting older. So every year, if you get a headshot, you can use it or not use it. You get more comfortable with it, but a headshot really matters. It's about that trust factor, right? I want to see who you are and do I trust you? Now with pen names, that's a whole other thing, but we don't have time to get into that today. Well, it's interesting you mentioned about the, uh, gosh, the author photo, because yeah, my, like I'm, someone saw my, they, I met, you know, someone new recently and they're like, see my website and they're like, you look like you're a teenager in the photo. And I was like, it's not that old, but all right. Um, so I agree. You don't, I don't, sometimes you don't even notice how much you're changing, but then if people meet you in person, like it, it will be kind of odd. So um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I do want to make sure to mention, uh, so you run Monkey C Medium um, and it's a firm that specializes in website design, book cover design, branding development, all kinds of stuff. Um, and our members should know. Uh, and anybody listening who is thinking about becoming an IBPA member, uh, they get 20% off your design services. So 
uh, if you, you know, you gave us a lot of really helpful information today. So, you know, take advantage of that. Uh, you also have uh, jenniferthompson.com. And again, as you said, it's J-E-N-I-F-F-E-R Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And then you also have a, your own podcast. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the Premise Podcast. So make sure to check that out. And if that wasn't enough, apparently you're very busy. Uh, you also have these personal branding workshops that you do for IBPA. Uh, I don't know if you're able to tell us a little bit about like what you do in those, but like what, if someone signs up with one of those, what, what are they going to get out of that? Great. So I just want to say they're super fun. They're six week courses and we meet for an hour. We limit it to 10 people so that it's interactive. And it's sort of a reverse classroom where you do the homework in advance. And then in class, I do a short class. I talk about the important points. And then we go through when we talk about aha moments, what's working for you, what didn't make sense, do you have any questions, we give each other ideas, and people really learn from each other. So instead of just listening to a talking head with examples, we're talking about real life examples. And by the end of it, it's really, you understand how to market your book, how to create that roadmap, that foundation, how to budget your time, you know, where you want to be on social I think it's a wonderful process. It's a great value. Um, and I love doing it. So yeah, hopefully people will check it out. We don't have one scheduled now, but I imagine we will in the fall. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I, I, I know that it's really been great. I know our members have really enjoyed those. So definitely keep an eye out. I'm sure we'll send out like a newsletter or an e-blast or something to our members. Uh, so Jennifer, this really was great. I, I always love talking to someone who's an expert on like book marketing and all that because, you know, it's just this whole uh, gamut of different topics you can talk about. Um, but I am glad we honed in on that concept of the author brand because I don't think it's talked as much about. So uh, thank yeah. you. Genuinely, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. I appreciate it. Of course, yeah. Um, if you want to learn more about IBPA, visit the IBPA website at ibpa-online.org. We uh, please also this podcast is on YouTube and it's on all the places that you download podcasts. So subscribe, check it out. The last Thursday of every month, we have a new episode. Uh, so we, we hope you keep tuning in. And uh, again, Jennifer, you're wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're wonderful. Back at you. <laughs>